This is the weekly message from Hope Church Malmesbury. We're so glad you can join us. This week's sermon is part of our series, The Promise and the Purpose. We're walking slowly through the Gospel of Luke, verse by verse, promise by promise. Find out more about Hope Church and how to support our ministry at www.thehope.church. I hope this message will help you to see the good purpose that God has for your life and help you to walk in faith and rely on his promises every day. Here's the message. So good morning, Uh, whether you are here in the building or you're listening online, you are very welcome. And uh, today I'm going to share on Luke 12, uh, Luke 13, uh, verses 22 to 30. And the title is The Narrow Door, A Warning About Complacency. Let me begin by uh, reading this passage. So Luke um, 13, verses 22 to 30. Then Jesus went through the towns and villages, teaching as he made his way to Jerusalem. Someone asked him, Lord, are only a few people going to be saved? He said to them, make every effort to enter through the narrow door, because many, I tell you, will try to enter and will not be able to do so. Once the owner of the house gets up and closes the door, you will stand outside knocking and pleading, Sir, open the door for us. But he will answer, I don't know you or where you come from. Then you will say, We ate and drank with you, and you taught in our streets. But he will reply, I don't know you or where you come from. Away from me, all you evildoers. There will be weeping there and gnashing of the teeth when you see Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God and you yourselves thrown out. People will come from the east and west and north and south and will take their places at the feast in the kingdom of God. Indeed, there are those who are last who will be first and first who will be last. Well, when Mark emailed me and asked me to um, talk on this passage, uh, you can imagine the level of enthusiasm that I had. But I think it's important as you, as you look at this, and it has taken me some time just to sort of um, get my, my thoughts in order on this one. And... Um, But I believe there is a strong message for us here. And as unsavory as it might be, it's one which we've really got to take to heart and take note. Because our wonderful Lord Jesus loves us with an extraordinary love. And yet he was driven, motivated to lay this scripture upon us and make us very clear of... um, the consequences if we don't respond. And as I looked at this passage, I, um, I sort of looked at the, the previous part of the, uh, the chapter just to sort of understand why, why did Jesus suddenly switch to this particular piece? 
And as you read chapter 13, it starts off, the first nine verses is all about a warning of repenting or you're going to perish. And then the next seven verses from 10 to 17, he has this conflict with the Pharisees about healing um, a woman on the Sabbath. And Mark was sharing uh, that passage and he, he then... Um, encouragingly shared that this is a turning point in Jesus' ministry because from now on he's focusing on the kingdom of God. And sure enough, last, um, last week we heard from verses 18 to 21 about the kingdom of God and those comparisons. But then suddenly we leap into this passage Now, this discourse is in response to a question which we find in verse 23. Jesus is, is making his way to Jerusalem, and we're aware of what's going to happen when he gets to Jerusalem. He's preaching in the villages as he passes through. And then someone asks him the question, Lord, are only a few people going to be saved? I mean, it seems to be right out of um, context unless... You know, they're mindful of, of what he was talking about at the beginning of the, the chapter. And I had to ask myself, you know, why was, it, why was that question made? And why was it inserted at this point? And one thing really struck me in verse 25 was the response of the owner on, of the house in which um, the, uh, the person outside was knocking. And in verse 25, he says in the second um, part, I don't know you or where you come from. I don't know you or where, you're, where you have come from. And which sounds a bit weird, really. But I'm actually doing, uh, in my own uh, time with the Lord each day, I'm, I'm reading through um, John at the moment and following a, a commentary by a, a guy called David Ford. And I've just been reading chapters 7 and 8 of that. And during those two um, chapters, Jesus has this discussion with the Pharisees on where he was from. And it was all about the authority that he had and the validity of his witness. And we find this particularly in verses, um, in chapter 8, 12 to 59. And basically, Jesus turned around to them and said, because they were sort of saying, yeah, he's, he's from Galilee. And Jesus was saying, you don't know where I'm from or where I'm going. You don't, you know where you've come from. You say you've come from um, the, the prophets, but you don't know where you're going to. I know where I'm going to. Essentially, they were seeing it in um, earthly terms, he comes from Galilee. Well, where's he going next? Is he going up to Jerusalem? But Jesus was talking about it from a spiritual perspective. He came from God, and he knew that he was going back to be with his heavenly Father. He knew the path he was taking, and he knew what it would involve. Jesus was talking on a different plane. And they are then asking him about the validity of his, his witness and, and under um, uh, the law that Moses 
laid out that you, any witness had to have um, two testimonies. And what Jesus was saying to the Pharisees is there needs to be two witnesses. Because I know where I've come from and where I'm going, that my word is true. I can um, uh, speak confidently. I can be a witness to, my, to, to what I'm saying. And also my heavenly father is also a witness to what I am saying. Because I speak only from his, what he tells me. Now, the Pharisees just didn't get this. Because again, they were talking on earthly terms. And when you think about this, Jesus is, is talking at a level that they, they just don't get. And therefore, they think he's crazy. They think he's mad. But Jesus was confident in what he was saying. And in some ways, these Pharisees, which were respected rulers, he was actually being quite challenging to them. And if he was, if he was a nobody, then actually he was being pretty obnoxious. But if what he was saying was true, then he really was the Son of God. And we need to look at the statements of Jesus, I would suggest, through two lenses. Either that he was full of himself and he had no legitimate authority, which was what the, the way in which the Pharisees were saying. Or if we look at it through the lens that Jesus was taking, he really was the Son of God who had come down on this earth. And therefore, we need to listen very carefully to what he was saying. Jesus knew where he was coming from. He knew who he was and he knew where he was going. And returning to this passage in Luke, the challenge is, it, does God know us and where we have come from and where we are going? And this is what the challenge was from the man inside the house um, to those that were standing outside the door. Have we set the course that we want to take and we are continuing to walk that course? And that's why I believe this passage is a warning that is shouting out, don't be complacent. Let's consider the context of what he was speaking at the last in verse 29 he says people will come from the east and west and north and south and will take their places in the feast of the kingdom of God I believe what he's saying here is that it's going to be people outside the tribe of um, Israel this is what he's saying there it's not just the chosen people others will come into the kingdom of God outside the Jews. And then in verse 30, he said, indeed, there are those who are last um, who will be first, and first who will be last. And my mind got wondering, uh, wondering on this. Is this talking about the first one through the door? Or is it the pecking order that the Pharisees had? The Pharisees saw themselves as first. But actually, Jesus is saying no. You're last if you carry on the way that you are. But I believe that this is also, he was saying this to the crowd because they were the ones, uh, or someone from that crowd, 
who had um, asked this question. But I also believe that he's saying this to us now because it's easy to point fingers at others and fail to see how that relates to us. So I believe this is a warning and one that we need to take very seriously. Jesus described this as the narrow door. You know, a narrow door is one which restricts your ability to get in or the number of people who can get in. Often in this pa- when this passage is talked about, they talk about the wide door as well, but actually it's not in there. And often a wide door is, is the root of popularism. Scriptures, there are other scriptures that make similar warnings. And in Matthew um, 25, we read the story of the sheep and the goats. And this is a tough story. And I am going to read it in full because I think it 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 strongly makes the point. And I think we've got to allow the Holy Spirit to challenge us as uh, we listen to this passage. When the Son of God comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his throne in heavenly glory. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come you who are blessed in my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I indeed, uh, I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when do we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When do we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When do we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? And the king will reply, I tell you the truth, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me. You who are cursed into eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison and you did not look after me. They will also answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison? and did not help you. He will reply, I tell you the truth. What you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. If Jesus is the Son of God, and his teachings are true, We need to see things as he sees them. And the Holy Spirit enables us to do that. It changes radically the way that we live our lives and the priorities that we set. David shared last week about the kingdom of God, the promises and the truths that are in place for those in the kingdom of God. 
And he described it as mind-blowing. And indeed it is. What Jesus is bringing in is radical, is changing. It's going to change our perspective and it changes the world. You only have to look at history and see where men and women have been following God and the impact that it has in their societies. You know, you think of, of um, business leaders like Fry and the way that he looked after his workers. You look at the abolition of slavery. You know, and there are, there are hundreds of big examples and small examples. If ever this world needed men and women standing up and following Christ and reflecting Christ's love, it is today. In this country and in other countries. This is what the kingdom of God is all about. But it does mean that we need to change our priorities in terms of what is important to us. What is it that we are building up? How we are investing our times, time. Now this can be daunting. It can almost feel a bit Puritan at times. But God is not a killjoy. I came that you would have life and life in abundance. Our Father God is the hope that brings peace and joy. And the amazing thing is that often that joy and peace he channels through his people. David preached, uh, the passage that David preached on last week is uh, also found in, in Matthew, in Matthew 13. Uh, verses 31 and 33. Um, but that same chapter goes on in verses 44 to say, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure heaven in, hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. Again, the kingdom of God is like a merchant looking for fine pearls, when he found one of great value, he went away, sold everything he had, and bought it. This is the comparison that Jesus provides. It's a treasure worth selling everything for. Our life in Christ is freedom. All the disciples, bar one, um, were martyred. They went to grisly deaths. And they went to them joyfully because they'd found something even greater. And sometimes we think, oh, it must have been awful for them. And it does sound pretty awful. But actually, there was something that was driving them inside that was of much greater value to them than what they'd given up. Paul talks about the same thing. I mean, he was... He was a sort of uh, true blue Pharisee. He'd got uh, everything at his uh, disposal and for his future. He was going to be a really influential figure. But in Philippians 3, he talks about how he counts it as nothing. What he's given up compared with what he has in Christ. You know, today we're bombarded with pictures of wealth and fame. But why are so many of these celebrities unhappy? Why do we live in a world where there is so much pain? 
Trace and I used to live in Hong Kong, and I think I've shared this story before. And Hong Kong looks pretty glitzy when you're downtown and you see all the bright lights, particularly at night. But we lived in the backyard in the New Territories over the mountain range. And uh, I used to fly by helicopter from, from there into, into, the, uh, into the main part of Hong Kong. As we flew across the uh, fields where there were growing vegetables and people were eking out a living, the rivers were black with the oil and dirt from all the scrap yards and that uh, lined the streets. It was some four miles from where we lived to where I worked, and it was four miles of scrap yards. Scrap yards for back axles, for air conditioners, for, for car parts. Behind the glitz lies a lot of pain. And yet the scriptures talk about the promise and the inheritance to those who believe. If you want to be encouraged, read Ephesians 1. It's an extraordinary passage. Because this comes from a God who loves us and cares for us. But verse 24 of this passage we're looking at at the moment, um, in verse 24, he says, uh, make every effort, make every effort to enter through the narrow door because many, I tell you, will try to enter and will not be able to. We can't take it for granted. We've got to make every effort We've got to apply ourselves to his teaching. Peter says in 1 Peter 1, 15 to 16, he says, we are to be holy as our heavenly Father is holy. Why? Because our heavenly Father is so holy that he cannot physically be in the presence of sin. And if we want to be in that relationship with him, then we've got to come to him on his terms. We've got to come to him clean and holy. And whilst that wasn't possible in the past, before Jesus died on the cross, because of his sacrifice, we can now do that. Ephesians 4, 22 to um, 24 uh, says, it gives us instructions of what we are to do. That we're to put off the old and put on the new self, made new in the attitude of our minds. We physically have to make decisions to put off the old and put on the new. And it needs a change of thinking and a change of priorities, a change of approach. And this is hard, but we can do it through the Holy Spirit that Jesus has now put into our hearts. As the Spirit of God dwells in each one of us now. It's extraordinary. Romans 8, um, verses um, 5 to 8 says, those who live according to the flesh, the way, that which refers to the way that um, we lived before we gave our hearts to the Lord, have their minds set on what the flesh desires. You know, a good career, making lots of, of money, living in a big house, having a secure pension, traveling. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. 
what our Heavenly Father desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed, led by the Spirit, is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God because there's a tension there between what God is trying to do and what, and your, what your selfish desires are trying to do. It does not submit to God's law that we love our Heavenly Father with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our strength, with all our mind, and that we love our neighbor as ourself. And it can't do so. Even Paul talks about trying to do stuff in his own strength, and he can't, he keeps failing. And I'm sure we all experience that. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. In Colossians 3, verse 2, he says, Set your mind, this is Paul speaking again, set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. And then there's an in instruction within that that we are to, um, again, clothe ourselves. I know this is a passage I often read, but it's really, it's, I found it really helpful to me. This passage in verse 12 reminds us that we are God's chosen people. Holy and dearly loved. God's love for us is beyond our understanding. But we have to clothe ourselves. And it says this in verse 12. With compassion and kindness and humility and gentleness and patience. We need to bear with each other. Forgiving whatever grievance you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in unity. We have to make a choice of whether we're going to clothe ourselves with these things or not. So in conclusion, just bringing this together, the kingdom of God is extraordinary. This is what the prophets were waiting for. This is what the God who created the earth and all our ability to have wealth and beautiful things, this is what he was, has always desired for us, his people, that love and affection. But the route to there is the route that he sets out, not the agenda that we want to create, not our interpretation of that, we have to be open to how the Holy Spirit is leading to us. And we can't assume that just because we've said a prayer of faith, that's it, tick box, I can now do what I like. That's only the beginning. And it's only the beginning because there's even greater things to come. But also because in his um, crazy, amazing wisdom, he wants to use you and me as a conduits of his love to have an impact in others and to show them the way. The, the answer to this country's woes doesn't lie in which prime minister we're going to have next or the one that comes after it before Christmas. But it comes through Jesus Christ, through people daring to live a radical life that is one that is, that is reflecting the love that they're receiving from their Heavenly Father who has confidence that he's not going to let them down. You know, I'd, uh, I'm going to wind up, but I, you know, my, I became a Christian when I was 11. 
And in terms of my career and everything I've done, I've put my confidence in him. And the stuff that I've been able to do is I never imagined that I would have those opportunities. And I never imagined that I'd meet the people that I have done. And I do believe it's because of allowing him to guide my steps. And I may, I've made stacks of mistakes, and I continue to make stacks of mistakes. But my heart is to follow him and to be used by him. As you know, Tracy and I are foster par- uh, carers at the moment. And it's a roller coaster ride, as those of you who are supporting us in prayer know. But boy, it's, it's extraordinary as well. And this morning, he had big smiles on his face. He's, he comes from Sudan. And we had a good morning as, we, uh, as he came down the stairs, which we haven't had for, for many days. And it's just, it's a real privilege to be reflecting God's love uh, to him and drawing our strength from him as well, that, from our Heavenly Father, not from Ahmed. <laughs> so I just want to return to this point. The message, I believe, that Jesus was making here making it in love was don't be complacent. Don't be complacent. Keep pressing on. It might feel hard at times, but there are, there are blessings to come through it. Blessings as you see God moving in other people's lives and see him moving through you. The Pharisees thought they'd got it sorted. They hadn't. And we must be careful that we don't make the same mistake. Let me just close in prayer. Father God, Father God, Lord, I thank you for your word. Some of it is really hard to hear and can feel quite daunting. And I'm sure the the devil just throws um, bad thoughts about it into our minds. But you're a God who loves us so much. You cared for us so much that you came down onto this earth to um, die for us. You want us to take us out of the, the mess. You want to redeem us so that we can return to our amazing relationship with our Heavenly Father, the God who created the world and created us. But you do ask that we give everything to you we don't hold back we just give everything and that as we enjoy the love and affection that you have for us that we are also available to be conduits of your love to others so Holy Spirit I just invite you to speak to each of our hearts today in this meeting just touch the areas that you want to draw us closer to you give us a taste of, of your love and affection for us And Holy Spirit, help us to push in deeper into all that our Heavenly Father has for us and that we wouldn't be robbed by Satan, by his, the doubts he puts in our mind. That we would know that we serve a God who loves us and loves those around us and desires to do great things. You proclaim that the kingdom of God is here now. The kingdom of God is in this town of Malmesbury and all the places that we represent here. And we are your ambassadors for it. So Holy Spirit, continue to speak to us now and move amongst us, I ask, in your holy name.